The message you're about to hear has been made possible by the continued financial support of the friends and partners of Faith Hill. To find out more about how to become a partner, be sure to visit faithhill.tv. Well, why don't you hold your Bible, lift it up real high, and shout, this is my Bible. Bible. I believe what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I am a believer and not a doubter. A doer, not just a hearer. Today, I will hear from God's word, and my life will never be the same. Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by... The word, of God. the word of God. All right. We're still talking about as a man thinks in his heart, or as a man thinketh in his heart, still talking about grace in the marketplace. We discovered that God has not created anyone to be average. Amen? He has created all of us to be world changers. And a part of the process of becoming a world changer is to trade our old uh, thinking with a new set of thinking, or for a new set of thinking. Amen? And last week we read Romans chapter number 12, verse 2, uh, which says, Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be ye what? Uh, transformed or changed. How? By the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what is that good and that acceptable and that perfect will of God. I want to point something to you. God's will for your life is always good, it's always acceptable, and it's always perfect. Amen? God has a will for you that is uh, extravagant. God has a plan for your life that is more than what you've ever uh, dreamed of. Amen? And here the Apostle Paul is showing us, actually the story starts off in verse 1, where he says we should offer our bodies to God as a pleasing sacrifice. And then he goes on to verse 2, and he's talking about our minds, and he says we should not be conformed or be poured into the mold or the world's way of thinking if we're going to operate at this place of calling. Amen? He says, but we should be transformed. Uh, That word uh, transformation in the Greek metamorpho, uh, where we get the English transliteration metamorphosis, and basically in uh, its simplest form is talking about a radical change of form. Amen? Amen. A radical change of form. And uh, one of the analogies for that is a caterpillar transforming into a butterfly. Amen? Uh, the, the form changes radically that when you look into a butterfly, you don't see traces of a caterpillar. Yeah. And there is a place in God's word and in the kingdom where your life can be so transformed. I don't care how you've messed up. I don't care how many times you've messed up. There is a place in the word of God and in God where your life can be radically transformed that it will not look like your mess. Amen. Your life will be so radically transformed, it will not look like your mistakes. Amen. And, and this thing comes through changing the way we think. He says there's a, there's a change process that's going to take place, but it comes through renewing your mind. Amen. Uh, uh, it is, it's it's uh, Jesus himself said these words. He said we cannot pour new wine into old wineskins. In other words, for this new assignment, this new place that God has for you, the butterfly life, I like to call it, uh, God is not going to bring that butterfly life on you uh, with a set of old thinking. He's not going to pour new wine into old wineskins because there's going to be a waste. Amen? I said amen. Uh, uh, God is not going to bring a new software on an old computer. In fact, when they do software upgrades on, on, on iPhones, they tell you this, is, this starts with iPhone 9. iPhone 4 will not be able to receive this software. It's way too big. The whole thing will crash. And it's the same thing. We have to have a new set of thinking. We have to begin to write a new way of software, a new way of thinking in our minds if we're going to tap into the will of God, which is, watch this, good, acceptable, and perfect. Amen? And for us to do that, for us to begin to write this new software, uh, Mark chapter number 4 becomes a pivotal scripture. This becomes the foundation of this
this new software that we're going to write. Amen? So let's go to Mark chapter number 4. We're going to read from verse 3. Jesus taught in parables. And the reason he did this was because so that it could be hidden for you, not from you. Amen? He wanted you and you only to understand and receive these treasures and begin to operate uh, in them. It says in Mark chapter number 4 verse 3, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell on the wayside. And the birds of the air came and devoured it. And some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth. And immediately it sprang up. But because it had no depth of earth, when the sun was sprung up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell amongst the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground, and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced. Some thirty, some sixty, and some a hundredfold. And he said to them, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. This is an awesome parable that Jesus taught. And what makes it even more awesome is Jesus explained it. Amen. So we don't have to wander around about what he meant when he shared this parable. Let's go to verse 13 and see what Jesus said about this parable. It says in verse 13, and he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? Stop right there. So Jesus is saying, uh, this parable is the master key that unlocks all the other parables. He says, if you understand this parable, you will be able to understand all the other parables. If you do not understand this parable, There is no hope for you. He didn't say it in those words, though. (laughs) He says in verse 14, explaining the parable, he says, the sower sows the word. Did you read that? Man, I like that. He explains what he meant by seed. He said the sower went around, you know, sowing seed, and basically in the olden times when they would go out and sow seed, they would literally just dip their hands into a bag of seeds and just scatter the seed on the field. And as they were scattering, uh, Jesus said the sower went out to sow this seed, and this seed that he sowed is the word of God. Amen? So basically he's saying the word of God is seed. I used to think the word of God was rules and regulations. So I would go into the Bible to see what the Bible says about don't touch and do this. And I would come around and say, but the Bible has nothing to say about this specific drug. Does it mean I can partake? (laughs) My whole perspective approaching the Bible was twisted. The Bible is not a book of rules and regulations. Say that after me. The Bible is not a book... Of rules and regulations. But it is a bag of seed. So what you're holding in your hand today is a bag of seed. And seed speaks of potential. What you're holding in your laps today on your hands is a bag, is, is a book filled with potential. Filled with potential for life. Filled with potential for prosperity. Filled with potential uh, for everything that you'll ever need that pertains to life and godliness. In other words, everything that you'll ever need that is consistent with a godly way of life. Amen. It is loaded in his word, but it comes in seed form. Now, most people, uh, you know, don't like seeds. You know, I mean, I, you know, Valentine's, I challenge you, husbands, I challenge you to buy your wife a bag of ro- flower seeds. <laughs> She may understand your lesson, but she may not be happy with you. Amen? She wants the real thing. But how many of you realize that the real thing may die within the week? But if you gave her seeds, she may have a a, a bed full of, you know, roses. But don't try this at home, okay? (laughs) This is for preaching illustration, for purposes, preaching purposes. Okay, don't try this at all. <laughs> Pastor T said I should buy you a bag of roses. Seeds. <laughs> You're going to get into trouble. But seeds is life. Seeds is loaded with potential. And without seeds, this whole earth would not last a, a, a generation. 
I think we would only go up to 15 years and nothing beyond that because of seeds. And if you go to the supermarket today, as you walk into the aisles, all of the aisles uh, stand as a testimony of how seeds are still in operation today, of how seeds still sustain everything that we see in the earth today. So seeds are a vital uh, part of life in the earth. Amen? And God has given us his words. Uh, the same way seeds are a vital part of the natural life, there is a mirror for that. The word of God, word seed, is a vital part of your spiritual life. Amen? Because what God did is he took life and put it in his word, just like he did it with the children of Israel. The Bible said he sent his word and healed them. So what God did is he sent healing encapsulated in the word. So some people say, you know, Pastor, I don't like the word, but I want healing. No, they come together. What he did is he took a capsule and put healing on the inside. And if you want healing, he gives you a word seed. And as you partake of that word seed, the word of God, which is not rules and regulations, you begin to manifest the healing or the potential that is embedded in the seed. And this technology only belongs to God. Seed technology is God-class technology. I mean, with all our ingenuity, mankind have come a long way. Now we have cars that self-drive. Now we have, I mean, we are doing things with computers that people 100 years ago would never imagine. Amen? But one thing man cannot do with all of our creativity and all of our ingenuity is to create seed. Men do not have the ability or does not have the ability uh, to create something and in it put the ability to recreate itself. Only God can do that. This kind of technology belongs to God class. And what God did with his promises is that he put them in seed form for every single child of God. And he said, there you go. You can take this word and use it to transform your life, to come to a place where you begin to live the butterfly life, where you begin to enjoy the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And this is not magic. Uh, amen. Amen. I used to think the Bible was a, a, a superstitious, magic, you know, object, you know. I used to think, you know, as long as I put the Bible in my car, nothing evil will befall me. <laughs> but how many of you know that a bag of seeds in your car will never produce fruit? Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Do you still like me? I'm trying to be nice. A bag of seeds in your car will not produce any fruit. In fact, I was going through a curve uh, uh, I think I may have been uh, speeding a little bit, and the car flipped about six times with the Bible inside. <laughs> Amen. The Bible, just the book, does not do anything for you. Just the bag of seeds is not going to feed you. Sure. Amen. What you need to do is to take the seed and put it in the ground, and when you do, you can expect some fruit. So the Bible on your coffee table is not going to protect your house. <laughs> Amen. I mean, I used to think you could use the Bible as, a, as an object, you know, to chase away demons and evil spirits, you know, like in the horror movies. You know, you take the Bible, and, and when the ghosts are coming, you just... <laughs> <laughs> and the ghost doesn't want to see the Bible, so he's... <laughs> and there's light everywhere. No, that doesn't work in real life. Amen. The Bible only starts working for you when you put it in your heart. Because the Bible says, the sower sows the word. So the word has to be sown for it to produce after its kind. So whatever seed you sow in your heart, it will produce after its kind. So let's say you're struggling with healing. Uh, what you really need are seeds of healing. When you go into the word of God and pull a scripture, 1 Peter 2.24, that's in seed form. And when you put it in the ground, in the, in, the, in the soil of your heart, it will begin to germinate and it will bring forth fruit. Amen? Amen? If you're struggling with peace and, and worry and anxiety, you go into the word of God and you begin to get seeds uh, that are based on peace. If you're struggling with prosperity and poverty and so on and so forth, you go into the word of God and you begin to take these seeds that have been given freely to us and you have to sow them in the garden of your heart. And as you do that, you can expect a fruit. 
of the very thing that you are sowing in your heart. Amen? So the word of God is not a, rules, a, a book of a collection of rules and regulations, you know, commandments. No, the word of God in its, in its real form is a bag of seed that we plant in our heart, and these seeds begin to uh, rewire, reproduce a new way of thinking. Amen? I said amen. So Jesus began to tell us the different uh, kinds of hearts, the different kinds of soils that this seed uh, was sowed into. And as he was explaining, he said in verse 15 of Mark chapter number 4, and these are the ones by the wayside. So the first kind of heart that we see in this scripture is called the wayside. And he said, where the word is sown on the wayside, and when they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. Now, the question I had was, how does Satan gain access to this word sown on the wayside? Because it says Satan comes when? Immediately and steals that word. And I said, Jesus, we need to figure out a way to put that word in the ground, but also erect a wall around that word. Amen? That would be a good idea, right? In Johannesburg, most of you live in uh, gated communities. Put that seed in in the gated community, have a wall around it, electric wires all over it, and put a security guard at the gate with a gun. The enemy tries to come immediately to steal the word. What happened? Boom. Shoot the sucker in the head. Amen? And I was thinking this would be a good idea so we can protect the seed. Amen? So how did he gain access and how can we erect this wall? Let's go to Matthew chapter number 18, verse 13. Where did I say? Matthew 13, 19. 18, oh, 13, 18. Okay, all right, cool. Matthew 13, verse 18. Yes, thank you. It says, therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not what? Understand it. Say that after me. Does not? Understand it. So understanding becomes the wall, metaphorically, and the electric fence and the security guard with the gun. Do you get that? So understanding is a critical part of you hearing the word. He says, if a man hears this word and does not understand it, then, only then, does the wicked one come and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received the seed by the wayside. Man, you've got to understand what you're hearing. And the only way you get to understand what the word of God is saying is through the explanation, and the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Because the things of God cannot be carnally received. They cannot be carnally uh, 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 deciphered, if you will. You, You can't carnally figure them out. You have to have the Holy Spirit explain them to you. Amen? A carnal mind cannot receive the things of God because they are spiritually discerned. Amen? So you need the Holy Spirit to explain these things to you. The Bible says in Proverbs 4.17, uh, uh, wisdom is the principal thing, and with all you're getting, get understanding. And I always tell young people, man, with all you're getting, seek to understand how things work. Wow. Amen? Amen? I mean, people, people uh, come to a place like this for all kinds of reasons, and rightly so. You know, I was talking to a young man, he said, Pastor, you know, I was inviting him to church. He said, Pastor, do you have a, a beautiful single spinisters at your church? <laughs> or bachelorettes? I don't know. One of the two. Single, single ladies. Oh, my single ladies. And I said, man, we do have single ladies. And he, he said, man, one of the reasons I'm going to be coming is I, want, I need to find a wife. And rightly so. Man, I would rather he finds a wife in a place like this than in the club. So I think it's a good reason to come to church. I think it's a valid reason. In fact, the Bible says a good wife comes from the Lord. Not from the club, amen? So I think it's a valid reason. But here's the deal. While you're coming to find a wife, you need to also get some wisdom and some understanding because these are the foundations that are going to help you even maintain and sustain that relationship. Do you get that? So understanding is vital. 
You have to understand things if Satan is uh, not going to have access to that seed. Amen? This is why teaching is important. And this is why when you come to a place like this, we don't entertain, uh, we we don't clown around. All we do is give you the word. Because the truth of the matter is that's what you need. You need to understand the word of God. And when you do, the enemy cannot steal that word from you. When you understand how healing works, Satan can't steal your health. When you understand how prosperity works, he cannot steal your finances. You know, the scripture talks proverbially about a man who had uh, uh, pocket holes in his wallet. And every time he put money, it kept falling. When you have understanding, that won't happen to you. So you have to get understanding. You have to understand how things work. This is why teaching is very important. Not entertainment. Not inspiration. You've got to get the word in your heart. Amen? You know, sometimes I watch some of these Facebook videos of preachers preaching, and there's not a single explanation of anything. It's just inspiration. And I'm thinking, man, this is good, but there's no seed in this. Because seed is God class. And the only person that can give us seed is God. And if you don't take seed from his word, I don't care how nice it sounds, it's not going to produce after its kind. You know why? Because God watches over his seed. He watches over his word to perform it. The only thing he watches over to make sure that it germinates and produces is his word. Not our opinions. Not the whooping and the hollering. Not the shouting. Sometimes I watch these videos on Facebook, man, and the spirit of comment gets up on me. It's not a good spirit. And, man, I type something. I say, man, man, this sounds good, but not a word from God's word. And I type that thing, and then the Holy Spirit comes up on me, and he says, delete that thing. And then I delete that whole thing. Have you ever, man, you know what? It's a good thing when you don't always feel the need to comment on everything. Amen? And here, he says, because they lack understanding, the enemy comes and steals that word. And where there is no seed, guess what? There's not going to be transformation. Without the word of God, we cannot truly be transformed. The second type of heart is what Jesus called the stony ground. He says in verse 16, these likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. So they understand, they receive it with gladness, and it says in verse 17, and they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Afterward, someone say afterward. So the first group of people, what happened was Satan came while they were still in service, and he stole that word, because they didn't understand it. Amen? But this one, They received it. They understood it and they put it in their hearts and they left service. And this is what happened after they left the church. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arise for the sake of the word, immediately they stumble or immediately they are offended. So what happened was they received that word and understood it and put it in their hearts. But here's what the enemy did. As they drove home, he began to throw some challenges towards them. For the sake of the word. Amen. I said amen. Amen. So they heard the word about healing. They truly believe that God heals. They truly believe that it is God's will for them to be in health and prosper even as their soul prospers. 3 John 2 verse 1. They understood it and they received it in their hearts. But as they were driving back home, sitting in that uh, 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 driver's seat, they had a sharp pain on their lower back. And then they say, but the pastor said that God wants me to be pain free. Where is this pain coming from? So the enemy in the area of healing and wealth and health and so on and so forth, he throws symptoms as a temptation. Symptoms are temptations are sin, are what sin is like. Temptations for sin are what sin is like to healing. Symptoms are not the real deal. It's just a temptation. What do you do when the symptoms come to you? Just like what do you do when you're tempted to cast someone out? Someone say, Pastor, I I don't do it. I don't cast them out. It's the same thing. What do you do when you're tempted to fall for sickness by symptoms? Someone shout, I don't do it. 
Because most people get offended and say, yeah, I knew it. I went to that church and all they do is give us promises that are high and unattainable. Right now, I have a pain in my back. I am sick. And what they do is they bite on the temptation. Because it was just not, it was not real sickness. It was just a temptation. Symptoms are just a temptation. And when the temptation comes, you know what you should do? You should stand on God's word. You should stand on the conviction of God's word. The Bible says because they had no root in and of themselves. You need to develop a root system. You need to have a foundation in God's word. And what a root system simply is, is a personal conviction. It is when you know that you know that you know that God wants you well. And you cannot be convinced out of it. It is when you know that you know that you know that God wants you to prosper. And you will not let let life circumstances convince you out of it. Can I get an amen? Amen. Man, you have to know it. You have to have a personal conviction around these truths. Just like you have a personal conviction around your name. If someone came to you and asked you, what's your name? As quick as you can tell them who you are, you should have that much conviction in who God says you are in his word. If someone came to me and said, what's your name? My name is Tafara. And what? I don't think you're Tafara. What do you think I'm going to do? You know what? (laughs) You know what? (laughs) I don't have time for that. You know why? Because I know who I am. Amen? Amen. And your name, according to God's word, is blessed. And when circumstances come to you and they say, you are not blessed, what should you do? That whole thing. (laughs) Your your name is the healed of God. And when symptoms come, what should you do? That whole thing. You shouldn't even give it a time of day. But here's the deal. When you're not sure who you are, and if someone came to you and said, I don't think you're Tafar. Man, you you know what? I think you may be right. (laughs) And then you ask them to give you an... Say, so what's my name? And the enemy says, okay, I'm going to be the one to write your ID card. Man, you should never let the enemy write your ID card. Your ID card was already written by Jesus. Amen. Amen. And he already put who you are in there. He put who you're supposed to be. He already called you blessed. He already called you above only and never beneath. He already called you all these things. All you need to do now is to become acquainted with who you are in your ID card. Such that when your name is called, blessed, you get up and go. Amen. I used to always wonder who those people are. That when you're at the airport and there are people that they call in those things. Have you ever heard those people <laughs> that they call in those things? I used to always wonder who those people were until one day I was late for a flight. <laughs> and they were calling my name. And I didn't hear it. I was with my wife, and she said to me, you, did you hear your name? I said, no, I didn't. And I listened again, and I heard Tafara. And it was no, no, no mistaking that they were calling for me. Yeah. Yeah. Amen? Because I know who I am. I have a personal conviction in who I am. So beyond just understanding, you need to have a deep understanding of who you are in Christ. It has to become a personal conviction. And when it does, when the circumstances and the persecutions come, guess what? They're not going to challenge you. You know why? Because you know who you are in Christ. Amen? And the third type of ground that we see uh, Jesus uh, describe here is in verse 18. And he says, now these are the ones sown amongst thorns. Now, this is my own uh, estimation of this, you know, this passage of scripture. I don't believe these are different uh, groups that are permanent. I don't believe you are just the wayside for life. (laughs) Wayside. No, I don't believe that. I don't believe you're the wayside for life. I believe this is a process. I believe we all start at wayside, and as we, you know, learn these things, we progress to uh, the stony ground, and we progress to the thorny ground, and we are all making improvements and growing. And I believe the destination for all of us, myself included, is to get to good ground. 
And sometimes some of you may be on good ground concerning healing, but you're still on wayside concerning prosperity. Because, you know, when we say God wants you well, something leaps on the inside of you. But when someone says tithe, ooh, you start shaking on the inside. <laughs> you start shaking on the inside, amen? So you may, be, you may be way advanced, you know, in one area, and you still need to, you know, start progressively grow in other areas, Amen? And here, the third stage, I believe, of the process is the thorny ground. He says, now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word. They hear the word. They understand it. They have a personal conviction. But there's something else going on. In verse 19, he says, and the cares of this world. Someone say the cares of this world. Uh, Cares of this world are basically worries of this world. Amen. And the Apostle Peter told us what to do with the cares. He said we should cast them onto the Lord because he cares for us. Amen? Uh, Worry chokes the word. Man, that's a graphic illustration from Jesus. He says the cares of this world. The cares of this world. The deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things entering in choke the word. Literally, these things strangle the life out of the word. Did you see that? They literally put their hands on the word and just, until it just can't produce. Man, that's graphic. So, you know, have you ever heard this statement? A little worry is good for you. What they're saying is a little strangling is good for you. That's not true in the physical, and it's not true spiritually as well. Amen? Worry chokes the word. Child of God, you don't have to worry about anything. Jesus taught this message in Matthew chapter number 6. In fact, we have a series called The Worry-Free Life. We have a little booklet uh, called The Worry-Free Life that you can get for free uh, after church. If you're someone who struggles with worry, man, I want to encourage you to get that little booklet. That booklet is so small. It won't even give you, you won't even be worried looking at the number of pages. <laughs> Have you ever seen some of these books that are just, you just, you start worrying. Just, I mean, this thing is so small, you can finish it in a day. Yeah. And you can go on YouTube and go to the Worry-Free Life Faith Your Church page and go through the worry-free teachings that are there. The Apostle Paul said something about it. He says, do not worry about anything. But in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make all your requests known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. There is a peace from God that goes beyond what you can figure out. And that peace comes when we make a decision, I will stop worrying. Because worry is choking the word. Worry is making the word unfruitful. Man, I can teach this because I've been there. I done that, and I got a T-shirt for it. I was a master warrior, not a warrior, a warrior. I used to worry about everything. In fact, worry-free thoughts. It was as if worry-free thoughts would sit at the front front end of my bed and wait for me to wake up. The 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 worry-filled, the worry-filled thoughts. Man, they would wait. The, the anxious thoughts. I mean, it's almost like they would wait for me at the front end of my... As, as soon as I wake up, before I even brush... It, they were not even giving me a chance to brush my teeth. I would get up, and as I walk past that front end of the bed, I'm, I'm already in it, man. I'm, oh, man, how's that going to work? Oh, oh, man, this is not... Oh, what's going to happen with the kids? Oh, what's going to happen with the money? Oh, my body aches. I think that may be cancer. Oh, that's that. Oh, man. Ooh. And here's the deal. I was a master warrior. I had a PhD in worry. I, man, I'm telling you, I, was, I would worry about every little thing. Until I figured out, hey, Jesus said something about worry. He said something in Matthew chapter number 6. Onwards, he began to say, man, do not worry. Look at the birds of the air. They don't worry about anything. Look at the grass in the field. They don't worry about nothing. Why should you worry? Your heavenly father will take care of you. The apostle Paul said the same thing. And I was like, man, I need to stop with worrying. And when I stopped with worrying, guess what? It gave me an opportunity, at least a chance, to move to the fourth stage of a different kind of heart called the good ground. 
You know why? Because worry chokes the word. And the second thing it says chokes the word is the deceitfulness of riches. Money is a way to deceive people. Money is a good servant, but a terrible master. Write this down. Never listen to money about any decision. Whenever you listen to money about life decisions, you are 99.999% wrong. Never listen to money about life decisions. Uh, on Thursday, I think it was Tuesday. Tuesday, I went to the grocery stores. I was sharing with the guys at the church office on Thursday. I went to the grocery to uh, uh, Woolworths to buy some fruit. And I remember picking up the, uh, a tub of uh, uh, grapes. You know, I was going to put it in my uh, 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 trolley. And as I picked it up, as I was about to put it in my trolley, I glanced at the prize. <laughs> and I think because we're out of season... They had moved from 45 to about 54 now. And money started talking to me. He says, you know, you can't afford this. You should put it back. And immediately when money said that to me, I said, you know what, money, you're not my master. You are my servant. Because you're saying I can't afford this, let me show you who the boss is. (laughs) I'm going to take two. You know when they say... You know, they say take two and save ten, right? <laughs> I took two. I said, you know what? I'm just not going to listen to money. Tell me what I can or can't do. As small as it is, some of you have been listening to money about what you can eat or don't eat. Amen? Money has been chilling. In fact, here's what the Bible calls it. It says the deceitfulness of riches. And you know what happens when you start listening to money when you don't have it? I can assure you, you're going to listen to money when you do have it. Amen. Amen. When you become a billionaire, now you will be listening to money. But it starts when you don't have it. Why should you let money tell you what you can or cannot do? Amen. I have a friend, he shared a story about uh, buying a shoe that was... uh, uh, one size smaller than his uh, uh, foot because it was on, on a special. <laughs> he said, you know what? Because it's on special, I'm getting it. And he said, man, he would walk like this. And <laughs> man, he's like, man, I'm going to wear them because I got them on a special. And I said, you know what's happening? He's, he's letting money tell him what he can or cannot do. And the Bible calls it the deceitfulness of riches. What that simply means is you're making the voice of money louder than the voice of God in your life. Do you know who should you should be listening to concerning life decisions? The Holy Spirit. Even when you have money in your bank account, you know what? You just don't listen to money and buy things you don't need. You listen to the Holy Spirit and let him, you know, direct how you, you know, function in the realm of finances. So he calls it here uh, the deceitfulness of riches, and he also calls it the desires of other things. What that is is just lasting after, after things. Amen? He says when you're just out there to last after, after things, uh, it chokes the word. In other words, you need to be at a place where uh, if God tells you uh, to give something away, you should be ready to do it. I remember Pastor Henry and myself were in Namibia, and uh, we were talking to the pastor there that we were preaching for, and uh, he said to me, man, I like your watch. And the Holy Spirit said to me, give it to him. I was like, I was like, I bind you, Lord. I, you. <laughs> I mean, I had just been wearing this thing for two weeks. I mean, I was like, wait a minute, Lord, did you really say that? He said, give it away. And I was like, okay, I do get what I said. You know what? God bless you, brother. And he said to me, no, I'm, no I can't take it. I said, no, dude, you have to take it because I heard the Holy Spirit say this to me. And he was like, okay, I'll take it. So he took it for about two nights. And then he came back on the third night and he, he, he said to me, uh, Pastor T, it's interesting that the Holy Spirit said you should give me that watch. You know why? Because I have the exact same watch. He actually came to the service and he was wearing the exact same watch. And he said to me, the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said to him, you must give it back to me. Hallelujah. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. And he said these words. 
He said to me, the Holy Spirit said to me that it was just a test for you to steal if you are at a place where you are not lasting after things. And I said, Lord, I'm good. I'm still good. I'm still still good. I don't know what would have happened if it was a Rolls Royce. I'm still growing. Amen. I'm still growing. I'm still growing. But that's what happened. Here's the deal. You should never have something in your life that if God says for you to give it away, you can't give it away. He said to Abraham, I want you to give me your one and only most prized possession, your son. And Abraham was able to uh, give his son away. And as he was about to actually sacrifice his son, you know what the Holy Spirit said to him? Stop. Now I know that you don't have things at the center of your life. You're not lasting after things. Amen? I said amen. Amen. And when you are in that place, the word of God will begin to grow uh, and it will produce fruit. Let's go to verse 20. This is where most of us should land. This is where we should end up. It says in verse 20, but these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word and accept it. Did you see that? They hear the word and accept it. Man, that's a critical part of having a good heart towards the word. In fact, the Bible says in James 1.21, Lay aside all filthiness and all superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness. Meekness is with a teachable heart, with a teachable spirit. He says, receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. So the first uh, thing you need to do if you're going to uh, live your life at this place is to come to God's word with an open heart. Come to God's word with a heart that's ready to receive. Come to God's word with a heart that says, I don't know it all. Amen? We found out last week uh, that God knows more than we do. Some people still argue with me over that. You know, when I preach all over, I preach overseas and I tell them, man, God knows more than we do. They say, ah, yeah, but, you know, uh, God knows more than we do. That's the right attitude to approach God's word. And when you approach God's word with that attitude, guess what? You have a teachable heart. You have a teachable spirit. And when you have a teachable spirit, here's what happens. Those are the ones sown on good ground, those who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. Fruit becomes the evidence that you received the word, you accepted it, and you let it change your life. Amen? Amen. I said amen. amen. You begin to have some fruit. And this is the place that we should all be at. A place of fruitfulness. Jesus said you shall know them by their fruit. He said you begin to know people by what's hanging on the branches of their lives. And here's what's awesome about that story. You can change what's hanging on the branches of your life. From lemon to oranges. By changing the seed that you put in your heart. Amen? I said amen. So as you go into God's word, child of God, I want to assure you, God's word is not a collection of rules. In fact, David put it this way. He said, your word tastes Sweeter than honey to my mouth. How hard is that? Don't go into God's word with a, with a mindset of, you know, this is now my religious obligation. Every morning I have to read three chapters of the word. And then, you know, <laughs> after I read three chapters, then I go to work. I have to do three chapters of the word. No, David said, it's like honey to my lips. How many of you find it? Hard and tedious when you are making a cup of uh, rooibos tea in the winter right now, you know, and you, you put uh, a honey, a, a teaspoon of honey in the tea. And then how many of you find it hard just to, with that uh, uh, spoon that's going in the tea, just, you know, uh, have another one that just goes straight into your mouth. How many of you say, oh, Pastor T, that's some hard work. That's, uh, you know, I have to lift up my hand. And, uh. So we're not talking about works. Listen, when you read God's word, it's like honey to your lips. Job said, I value your word more than my necessary food. What he's saying is, going into God's word is like going to uh, Nando's. It was, it's like going to get a good meal. Uh, Amen. 
It's like going to get a really good meal. That's what going into God's word is. It's not a religious obligation. It's food. This is why, just like you don't have a, a, a New Year's resolution that says, you know, I should eat chocolate cake this year. No, none of you do that. You, we, we know you're going to do it. We don't even have to put it on the New Year's resolution. We know you're going to eat chocolate cake. We already know that. You don't put it on the New Year's resolution. And, and, and just the same way you treat that is the same way you should treat the Word of God. It shouldn't be a New Year's resolution. Man, it should just be a part of your life. I'm going to eat something nice. That's what God's Word is. God's Word is food. Man, and when you see it from that perspective, this is not legalism. This is not works. How many of you have ever said, man, getting lunch, we're becoming legalistic. Now, I think we are becoming legalistic, brother. You know, get it. I think we're becoming legalistic. No, this is grace personified. Going to God's word and eating off of it is grace personified. You're getting food. That will begin to nourish your whole body. Amen? But you have to eat. You've got a feast. Every time you go to God's word, it's a feast. You know, I was saying in the first service, my wife and I once attended a feast, a wedding. You know, weddings are called feasts. Jesus called them feasts. And uh, we once attended a wedding, and they didn't feed us. (laughs) And I talked about it for about five years afterwards. I couldn't believe it. And I I went to a feast, and we didn't feast. I can assure you that if they had given us food, it was not going to be hard work to take care of that plate. Amen? It's the same way I'm trying to tell you. Going to God's word with this mindset will not become a religious obligation. It is not a religious duty. You don't, you, you, it's not grievous. You're not tedious just doing it, you know. I wake up and I do this devotion and I have to read two, two chapters. No, no, no one ever comes to the dinner table like that unless you're Munesu or Tanaya. You know? <laughs> Everyone else, man, they, they, they look forward to a good meal. It's the same way you should come. When, man, you should stop everything. It's time to get some good food from God's word. Amen? It's not time to look for uh, the do's and don'ts, because that's not what the Bible is. The Bible is a plate of steak. Amen? Why don't you stand on your feet? Thank you, Jesus. Did that help you? Man, I'm telling you, uh, with this mindset, you start reading your word uh, more and more, more frequently. You start enjoying going into the word of God and just uh, getting some of that seed and sow it in your heart. Amen? Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for you are a good God. Father, we thank you for your word is seed. We thank you, Lord, that by grace you have given us a bag of seed that we can begin to plant in the garden of our hearts and expect a harvest. Lord, now we pray for these, your children. Lord, I pray for every heart, every soil under the sound of my voice. Lord, we pray that you may begin to soften it. You may begin to uh, bring it to a place where it's good ground, ready to receive your word. Lord, I thank you that in their hearts they have the right conditions, the right temperature, the right light, the right conditions that the word of God may begin to germinate. Lord, I thank you that for those who are struggling with any area of their life, you may begin to direct them to the right bag of seed that they need in your word. Lord, I thank you that by the Holy Spirit, they will not go without help. But Father, that they will begin to plant and sow these seeds in their heart. Seeds of peace. Seeds of prosperity. Seeds of healing. Thank you, Lord, that these seeds they have received with gladness will not be stolen from them. Father, we thank you that their hearts will not be offended by your word. But, Father, that they have hearts of flesh 
Not hearts of stone, but hearts of flesh. Hearts that are open to your word. Hearts that are malleable. Hearts that are ready to be transformed and changed by your word. Lord, we thank you that in this new season, you're pouring a new wine. A new way of life. A new wine that is good, perfect, and acceptable. A new wine that will change everything about their lives. Lord, we thank you that their lives will begin to taste better. We take bitterness out of their lives and release the sweet waters of Mara. Lord, we thank you and we give you all of the praise. It is in Jesus' name that we pray and everyone say it, amen. amen. Now, one of the things that happened, according to Genesis 8.22, God said, as long as the earth remains... Seed time and harvest remains. In other words, there's a time element to it. This is the millennials, the microwave generation. There's a time element to it. Don't dig up your seed. Amen? Don't dig up your seed by negative confessions. Man, if you put those seeds in the ground for healing, when the symptoms come... Don't turn around and say, man, I always knew it. It doesn't work. What you're doing is you're digging up the seed and you're checking on the seed. And it disturbs the germination process. Amen? I said, amen. Amen. Put the seed in the ground and leave it there. And I'm telling you, before the end of the year, man, you'll be on the other side of transformation. Amen? You'll be on the other side of enjoying the butterfly life. And God has it for you. Man, when you go to environments where they like digging up seeds and complain about South Africa, complain about the economy, complain. Man, don't join in, don't receive. All, all you're doing is digging up seed yeah. and checking on the seed. Yeah, that's right. Our economy is not the economy of this world. Yeah. Our economy is the economy of heaven. Amen? Right. I said amen. amen. And as you do that, I'm telling you, man, before the end of the year, I started planting these seeds. I don't even remember the last time I had a flu. But guess what? When I started standing on these truths, the first year that I believed that I could go a full winter without a flu, I got some flu. And guess what? What the enemy was trying to do was to shake me out of that conviction. But guess what I did? I stood in that conviction. I said the symptoms may say one thing, but the symptoms are not my God. How many of you realize symptoms are not your Lord? Jesus is your Lord. Amen? Circumstances are not your Lord. Jesus is your Lord. And I have to quit because I'm out of We hope this message has been a blessing to you. Thank you for listening. To find out more about how you can become a partner, visit faithhill.tv today.